Senor Eric Williams. <laughs> yes, sir. I, just, I forgot to tell you, it's a Spanish-speaking podcast. <laughs> no problem. Give me 10 minutes to brush up on my Espanol. I don't. I'm just uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, cinco, seis. That's that's it for me, and I'm out. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm. It's so glad that you could uh, could join me and uh, and I stay in our uh, beautiful infinite podcast. Uh, I'm so happy that you guys are doing this. Uh, I mean, podcasts are takes us back to the uh, the days of our great grandparents when you'd sit around and listen to the radio and do things. So I love being part of the podcast world. This is fun. Yeah. Or even way further back, the campfire. Yeah, <laughs> sitting around style. telling stories. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, I love it. <laughs> so we've um, we become friends through uh, a, 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 a third party, the Great, great Christian. Christian yes, the great. Christian Mo. He is. Uh, yeah, he's one of the funniest people I've ever met. One of the greatest. Yes, he will be a guest here when he's ready. You're always welcome, Christian. Uh, but uh, I do recall that we've met many years ago on a pilot for a TV show where uh, the husband of the um, in the relationship was to go to sort of like a boot camp or something. What were you? I I'm so and embarrassed I sitting, that I didn't remember. I was you from sitting that. in this small editing room with no windows, <laughs> and we met. You were a part of that. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't remember that. I, uh, but there are, yeah, the uh, the TV world is such a, uh, yeah. a hive of activity that uh, I often run into that where I'll talk to people and then I don't realize that we talked at a party or a, yeah, a, yeah, a yeah, meeting yeah, sometime yeah. before. But no, that was uh, that was an interesting show, short lived but uh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and other than that, I've come to uh, so my friend Christian was talking about his friend Eric, and I was like, Eric, uh, oh yeah, the Eric who made the. Um, made the TV show uh, Alt for Neudge. Uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, 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 I met this guy once. And who is this guy? And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and Christian was telling me all these stories about uh, how uh, Eric would be like, yeah, uh, I'd, I'd, I would just go dumpster hunting for, for some stuff that I need. And I would find it and, and uh, he would make carve things out of wood. And it was so great. I was like, oh, this guy, he seems like the greatest guy. And you are. Well, th- <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, the, Who are uh, you? I, what, uh, what is this? Uh, where is this coming from? Well, I, um, I'm a writer and a woodworker. And the woodworking came about by uh, accident. <laughs> the woodworking happened uh, when I first moved to our new apartment. And I was walking outside. And I looked into a dumpster. And I saw this beautiful slab of maple. And I thought, that's a nice piece of wood. Why, are, why is somebody throwing that away? I said, if I had a saw, I would take that and put it into my window frame. And I lifted it up, and underneath was a box that said Black & Decker Stig Saw. <laughs> and I thought, oh, come on. Come, come on now. And it was taped shut. It, it had never been used. And I thought, oh, okay, then I guess my mission is pretty clear. So I dragged them both out of the dumpster and fitted that into the, uh, the window and thought, I wonder what else is out there. And I found that people in Oslo, because we're all very wealthy compared to the people in the rest of the world, we've got enough to throw away. And we throw away beautiful furniture, amazing, you know. Oh, yeah. So over the years, I've, uh, I've furnished a lot of our apartment with raw wood or found items from 
probably within a couple hundred meters of my house. So every season when people start throwing stuff out of their boot, that's just shopping. That's my Ikea. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a hobby. The, uh, the woodworking is a hobby. And every year we have a uh, Christmas market in our apartment that you guys are very welcome to come to. And it's all things for sale that are made from found items, you know, uh, children's toys and salad bowls from, you know, chunks of wood. So it's great fun, but it also has become a small supplemental income Yeah, just to take what others find as junk and uh, absorb it. That is so cool. Um, but the writing I've done for since I was a boy, I knew as a six-year-old. I remember my sister used to read me stories, and I remember thinking, oh, stories are a, a thing people write, and that's what I want to do. I want to make stories. And I knew even then exactly what uh, life would be, which is making up stories. And, <laughs> and it's, it's, yeah, whenever I'm sitting in a cafe writing, I always look at the other people around and think, why isn't everybody else doing this? Yeah. What are they up to? They should be writing. <laughs> this, is, this is great. Telling stories. Yeah. So that's, uh, I'm, I'm an American. I moved to uh, Norway, uh, love refugee they call us. It's very found in Norwegian and very um, typical. <laughs> that's 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 the way people tend to end up in Norway. It's not a new story. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's uh, love is never grows old, right? No, it's it's, it's it was enough to uh, and of course I love to fish and Norway has great fishing and outdoors. So I came here and and thought this is a good place to be. Yeah, and we're so glad you did. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it's been an, uh, on behalf of the Norwegian population, it's been an enrichment and um, <laughs> a blessing. You. And then I met uh, my, my wife through uh, our boy Tom. And Tom has, uh, I shouldn't say he has autism, he is autistic. He's yes. profoundly yes. autistic. He doesn't speak. And I saw him in Bislet Bada. And I was sitting in the hot tub because I couldn't read the Norwegian sign that said no one allowed in the hot tub from 12 to 1. <laughs> and then Tom suddenly ran over. This little six-year-old boy jumped in and started doing circles in the hot tub and running his fingers along the tiles. Yeah. And then since I was there among the tiles, he would run his <laughs> finger along my shoulders and head in the same way. And I, I've often worked with uh, special needs individuals, so I thought, this boy, he's autistic. I need to find his parents and see if I can, I can work with uh, with Tom as a stutter contact. Yeah. And then uh, I began working with uh, Tom and then fell in love with his mom, Christina, and his sister, Tara, and suddenly I had this uh, this wonderful family. Wow. So as my mom called it, the my ready-made family. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I ended up uh, here in this place now, and it's, uh, yeah, Oslo, is a, it's a great place to live. It is. No, I moved to Drummond, so, uh, but it's also great. You'll move back very soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what, uh, what is it that uh, you like about storytelling so much? I think that uh, storytelling is where I find the truth, mm. where I no longer need to worry about anything under the, other than what, what feels right. Yeah. And uh, I have a different way of writing than most authors in the sense that I, I show up, sit down, open up the computer, and I listen. And sometimes I don't hear anything, and then I'll get a muffin and a coffee and wander off. And I think that's what probably a lot of writers think of as uh, 
as um, writer's block. But I just feel that, okay, the stories, no one was there to talk to me. But most often, I'll start to hear someone telling me something. And I start taking dictation and writing it down as quickly as I possibly can. And so I'm endlessly surprised and excited by what's going to happen each day. And sometimes I show up at home and I'll tell my wife, oh, I don't like where this is going. Like uh, right now, one of my characters is lost and I hate being lost. I was like, I don't like this. And she's, she always t- tells me the same thing. Well, just keep listening and, uh, and following. Because anytime I've tried to do the thing where you come up with ideas beforehand and try to force them into the story, the characters rebel. The whole thing comes yeah, to a complete stop. Not, they don't want to be a part of it. So as long as I trust them and they tell me what's happening, then uh, each day is just uh, an exciting adventure. And when I, for instance, when I finished uh, The Gift of No Water, this, I'd been traveling with these two characters for a year and a half, almost two years. And suddenly I'm in the cafe and I realize the last words I typed were the end. And I had no idea. And suddenly I'm a grown man sobbing, just crying <laughs> yeah. in a cafe with people looking over. And, but uh, because I realized I can't follow them on their journey anymore. Hmm. So you fall in love with these uh, people and then sometimes you have to leave them. But it's, uh, yeah, I wouldn't do anything else for a career. Writing is always going to be, as long as I can hold a pen or type, it's always going to be my job. You could have like, uh, what's it called when you have like an assistant writing for you? Yeah, I can, but I so like... You still keep it going I like, uh, for a little while after your hands are gone. And You know, this, uh, I, one of my favorite uh, authors was Robert Louis Stevenson, and he wrote one of his novels. I think it was Kidnapped when he was terribly sick. And he could he had to be in the dark and his niece would come in with a shielded oh, candle wow. and he would and she'd, you know, scrawl this down and he would tell wow. the story. And I thought, how is this uh possible? And then a few months ago I had a a terrible flu where I was flat with a fever, like could barely move. And I would stagger up at two in the morning and the only place I could escape was writing this ridiculous project. And after four days when I was finished, i hardly recognized it. It's called the uh, A Comprehensive History of the Peoples and Cultures of Norway. And none of it is factually accurate at all. <laughs> I like it's it. the workings of a madman. <laughs> But I realized that you can indeed write your way <coughs> yeah. out of misery because you can disappear into another thing. Mm. So, uh, yeah, you, can, you could dictate if you wanted. But I like the feel of the words. I like the editing i like every stage of uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. of storytelling but how is it because i think it's really interesting that kind of listening in but what i've come to see how is how how is the the tools gonna help you or limit you because i mean in the way that you can do that uh you already have some writing skills you know or if mm. i'm trying to play a piano i've i've played a piano for my whole life but I quit early on, uh, you know, the, the piano lessons. So the only thing I can now is, you know, with the one hand I can play every melody, but I don't, I don't know how to use both hands. I instance. see what you're saying, so, the, the innate so I can, skill or the yeah. So I can like listen to the, the the music is coming in, but it clogs up because I, it can't get out because the, the tools aren't working. <laughs> I see I see what yeah. you mean. You don't have I, a proper tool. Yeah. I struggled with that for so long because I have uh, severe dyslexia. Mm. And it's so severe that uh, as a child, as a student, 
I, uh, I didn't attend normal classes. They didn't know what to do back in the 70s and early 80s with a, a kid that couldn't spell or write legibly um, and, or had any math skills. So I was in a small classroom for my entire school career with kids that had uh, you know, Down syndrome, fetal alcohol syndrome, and brain injuries, and uh, this small pack of great characters. I love them. And that's why I ended up working with, uh, with Tom and other yeah. uh, special needs people. But at the time, it was just misery. You're just in this little classroom with what they called the retarded kids. Um, so when I knew I would be a writer, I didn't know how. Computers weren't around yet. So that's when I would actually read into those old tape recorders and then actually pay people to write, to, the, to write the story. So the instrument wasn't there, and that what you're talking about was incredibly frustrating. And then suddenly the, uh, the laptop computer came along, and I realized I can go to cafes, and this helps me with the spelling. And I'm still slow, but I think that slowness is also really helpful because it allows me to take my time with things and realize that this isn't about the bulk of words. It's not churning out no, just uh, words per yeah. minute. It's a process that And it's it. uh, it's a bit like, I know, bird hunters always say that uh, you shoot better with a single shot shotgun than you do with one that can shoot, you know, several in a row, like a pump act, because you have to take that one shot yeah. very specifically. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how it is with this. I, I, I could never do the novel or two a year that some writers do. Mm. I don't have that uh, instrument. But I like the time that it takes for the handful of novels that I'll write. Yeah. yeah. But it will give you the sort of perspective that those stories need, right? I think because, so. Uh, I mean, the, it's, the, uh, the, the faster writer will sort of uh, connect with different types of stories. Yes. Or at least my understanding, and I like how Elizabeth Gilbert, I don't know if you've heard some lectures of her, I don't um, believe so, no. She wrote the book Eat, Pray, Love, right? About her spiritual awakening. Yes, yes. Uh, but what she's saying is that it seems that creativity is something you channel, like, or sort of like something you connect to. Like there's a, uh, there's a highway of, of, of uh, creativity and you can tap into that by, by listening, like you, you're describing it. Uh, that sounds about right. That but sounds you good. can't force it. Like, oh, now I'm going to be creative. It doesn't work that way at all. Um, I think it might be, uh, I can't remember who said it. It might have been uh, Rob Bell that talked about oh, Rob Bell. being at, uh, working at God's pace. Yeah. And that pace within you that is uh, the proper pace, the right. Uh, and if you force that either too little or too much, it becomes quickly apparent. You just start, things unravel. And so for me, it's uh, that listening Listening is always a part of yeah. tuning into God's pace. And uh, when, when that happens properly, it all comes together. But I can always feel when I'm forcing it, and I just have to stop. It's, uh, yeah. I don't want to have to just delete something. Or, and the same with the woodworking. If I show up in the wrong state of mind, and I think I need to get this done for the Christmas market, I'm going to make five of these, so forget, it's all gonna, it won't be quality at all. So listening to that pace is, uh, yeah, for any creative work, that it's very important. And I like the sound of it. <laughs> I don't know. You, we watched a movie the other day, 2001, The Space Odyssey, which you oh watched, my God. Uh, ages ago. And when you're talking about this, I'm sort of uh, thinking about the movie because it's something about 
some movies that there is some forethought and and the flow you're talking about is sort of in the actual movie and when you're watching it it's sort of like a trust thing where you're sort of like um, do you trust me it's sort of like i feel kubrick is saying in the beginning of do you trust me and then if you sort of yes yes i'm i'm, I'm gonna go with you on this you have this fantastic journey where you're entering this this uh, this 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 world uh but if you sort of say oh, no 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 this is too weird for me this is this doesn't seem right or it doesn't you start putting all these tags and labels on it then you're just watching a uh, huge black rock that's just standing in the middle of the room not understanding yes you're stepping outside of the project and yeah. uh, and um uh judging it yeah. you're, you're outside of it and I, I think any good movie or any good book gives you that sense that oh okay i'm in you just sit set back in the seat click your seat belt yeah. in grab your popcorn and just you know you're you're on that ride with them and that's uh any any form of storytelling that's such a ungraspable but important aspect to it and it's funny when something doesn't work when a book or a film doesn't work and you're like i don't know why but yeah. i can't trust this i can't i'm not on board and yeah. the uh the unknowable factor is probably also what makes being a creative really fun because it could stop tomorrow i could literally go into it and that's the last thing that ever the last story anyone tells me and that that um preciousness of that the the fact that it's rare and it could go away any day that also makes it so much fun that's really cool that is super cool yeah but it's also with <clears throat> like that movie for instance I, when I was watching it, I was probably ten years old or something. And <laughs> that's that's not a movie for a ten-year-old. Yeah. I don't know. Somebody needs I to be arrested. This I, is wrong. I I just remember I went to the library and I uh, you know rented it or borrowed it from the library. I was watching the whole movie. It was super weird, uh, <laughs> but at some point, at some layer, it spoke to me, you know. But I couldn't. And now, right now, I don't remember anything other than the block and and the last scene of the movie. But but what I remember is that it it kind of hit me some something hit me with with the whole story, but I c couldn't explain it at all. Like the, there is impossible in my you know mental understanding of things to put any kind of words to it. So it, the only thing I could say, did you like the movie or not? And I just said yes. But if someone would ask something more, I just I don't know. I, don't I mean, great movies like that. You, it should never be asked what do you what did yeah. you think of it. It should always be asked what did you feel. Mm. Yeah. Because yeah. I walked away from that feeling a lot that I couldn't <sighs> articulate. Mm. Whether so you're possible. ten years old or yeah. you know fifty, you're going to have that same experience. And uh, yeah, so you probably took it in as purely as anybody else at that age, yeah. and walked away with it. Walked away from it with. Uh, with as much understanding. It's just a, a movie you experience. Yeah. And I think I, I, I enjoy that so much when there's, um, when there's something that you walk away from and you feel it uh, days later. You can feel it in your bones. And um, that's good art. Yeah, that is yeah. art. But uh, I, from my perspective, uh, when I was a kid, I also recall watching movies and experiencing them. But then as I grew older, uh, and I started to do like uh, went to uh, 
and had like film theory and, and started to get like into the mechanics and the and like the the physical aspects of how does film work how does the script work and it became very theoretical and very much in the mind i would be like uh, analyzing the film everything i watched i would be analyzing it and like okay so that's interesting and then doing that and then doing this and then they end up here okay interesting 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 uh but at one point i sort of had to sit down and i was like but i'm not i'm not feel, i'm not experiencing anything wow. because i'm just sitting there outside of the film so i took a conscious decision of saying i need to i need to be with the film because the, I guess from one perspective, my my um, the initial reason for being interested in, in the theory of film was because I wanted to make film, but at one point it just started um, giving me nothing because if you're just watching the film from sort of like a very sure. clinical uh, perspective, it's it's just some frames of something, and when I when I did that, like a whole world opened itself up to me. Like because any film will have like something that you can experience, mm. but you have to uh, like the suspension of reality. You just have to go with it. Uh, and the moment I did that, the movies became so much more like profound, interesting, and uh, and you... my emotions were were available. I could feel what the film was was uh, was uh, was trying to conjure in a way different on a much higher level but which i thought was quite fun i struggle retelling movies i've seen ah. which i think is a very good indicator of how well you've experienced the film because if you're remembering everything that happened in the film, like okay you went into that door and then you said stick up your hands so i'll shoot you in the head <laughs> and and but then you weren't in it <laughs> <laughs> I had a friend back in the States that if I made the mistake of saying, so how was that movie? They would start and somehow remember and tell me almost as if they were reading a script. <laughs> and then the guy went there and then she <laughs> said, not me. And then that's my husband. And so <laughs> you, you don't want that. You don't, you don't want, want that either. That's to be avoided. But I think there is uh, something to be said about, about learning enough to... Uh, uh, about any process, learning enough to ruin it and then falling back in love with it again yeah. because that new love is deeper. You can appreciate it. And then when they're on, it's it's amazing. And yeah. when they're not, you're still stimulated because you are you can look at where where a book went bad, where a film went bad, or even yeah. a painting. Yeah. So I think you that's a good journey you've been on for the work that you do. Yeah, it's like, a, it's like you, you construct, but then you also have to deconstruct afterwards to sort of Put it all back together and actually get something out of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Movies. Movies. Love the movies. <laughs> now, woodwork, on the other hand, you know, I love like um, like uh, uh, painting walls uh, or or like putting up a kitchen yeah, or fixing up your your place, fixing yeah. up a place or other people's places. Just like working with my hands, uh, making things. I think I, like, it's got quite the allure to it. Uh, and it's good for uh, any work where you stare at a screen or that you deal with words a lot or ideas. Woodworking is a, uh, it's such a tactile, organic, real thing. You'll yeah. begin and two hours later you can see what you've done. 
And for me, that's a, uh, it's a necessary counterbalance to uh, living in words for several hours. So I, 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 I double them up. I'll go and write, and then I always come back and work with wood for a couple hours. And, and I have a dryer bank, which is hypnotic, a, um, a lathe. Uh, you know, you, you lock the piece of wood yeah, in, and yeah, it spins, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you. And there's something about the round, oh yeah, beautiful shapes, and it just I can see it in my sleep. Sometimes I'll doze off at night, and I'll just have this, you know. And so there's something about that, and it's it's one of the earliest practices in woodworking. You know, they used to make these contraptions with ropes they would attach, and they'd oh. use a pedal and spin. And so the lathe has been around for just hundreds and hundreds of years. So I feel a connection to the woodworkers that came before because we're not really doing much different. I mean, I have electricity on my side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're but still <laughs> a bit more ease, I yeah. guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's um, uh, when we're talking, like when we're talking about this, it's just um, and also about the the whole film thing. This being present in the moment uh, thing comes to mind because that's sort of what I. Uh, noticed also when I was starting to enjoy films more was that if I was present in the film, the film was way more than if I was yeah. trying to, for instance, predict how the movie ends um, or uh, looking back and trying to re like, but if that happened, what's going to happen now? But if I just let these things go and just stayed present in the moment, then all of a sudden it felt much richer. It felt totally different and it's the, the same with uh, you know with sex or at having a meal you know if, yeah. you, if you're how many times do we wolf down a meal that's been you know when you think about how far all these ingredients have come the geniuses that have crafted what a lasagna wood. would be and then you it's made beautifully and roast for a couple hours and then you're just in a rush and you wolf it down and think did i even was i there for that meal yeah. so that's why it's in, it's very important to bring that idea as a mantra into so many other aspects of your life is it, am i experiencing this is am i here right now doing this yeah. or is this is just just a stepping stone to the next thing i need to do and boy the quality of life will change a lot depending on which angle you come at it yeah it's true i remember uh, last year i had a had a weekend where i i didn't i went away to a cabin and I didn't bring anything, like not even a book, like nothing. Nice. Uh, no, it wasn't nice. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> it's not the best the, thing you ever not did. Not in the beginning, but, <laughs> but I remember I could like, I could do something and I could like, I remember one moment I had a shower and I, I enjoyed taking the shower. But then it comes to my mind that, oh no, I don't know what to do after this. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing to me yeah, that's yeah. uh because we ha we don't get a chance very often to get bored yeah yeah to and just so hang many of the ourselves. best things that happened like when you're a kid all the power is taken away from you really you can't decide when and where and what and when you eat but that leaves you bored quite often and that's when you meet your best friends that's when you discover that when you flip over a rock, there's bugs under it, and then you spend half an hour in that world wondering if you're that small. Getting a chance to be bored, what a gift. And we rob ourselves of that gift yeah. any time that we overstimulate. You yeah. know, the other night uh, during halftime, uh, halftime, what is this, football? During intermission of the movie we saw, yeah. I went down and there was a long line, maybe 30 people waiting for the bathroom. 
and there were 30 people that couldn't bear the agony of the five-minute wait in line. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. they were all Thank watching movies and things. Right? And I thought, is your mind not full? <laughs> Are you not entertained? <laughs> you could just take a short mental breather. But no, they were locked because heaven forbid that you were bored for even a moment. Yeah. And boredom is where a lot of good stuff comes from. I think where all the good sure. stuff comes from. Mm-hmm. Because like you like when you talk about uh, the creative flow, if you were to be doing all types of stuff, not sitting down, listening, the book would never show up. No, it'd be a different kind of book altogether. Yeah. I'd have to try to fill that frantic intensity. But no, it's, it's nice to be, uh, and I think that's with travel. Most of us remember travel with such fondness. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what I think we remember from a great journey is... It's not the museums or the wild parties or things that happen. It's going to be the fact that you had to sit on a train and stare out the window for seven hours, and then you got stuck and couldn't get a ride in that one place. And though you remember it because you were stimulated in a completely different way. Yeah, it's true. Boredom. I'll drink to that. Yeah. So for the next 10 minutes of the podcast, there will be no sound. Sit in this boredom and ponder it. Thank God it looks like you're doing something because you're having like earplugs in and <laughs> you're walking around looking real busy. Checking it. Something happened. It's quiet because you weren't listening. Was actually, I was listening to podcast uh, this morning because uh, Rob Bell had uh, Pete Holmes as a guest. So great. What a great combination. Those two ah, guys. Come on. It's like uh, divine. Yeah. But then, so I started listening and then I started writing an email. And as I was writing the email, I was like, wait a minute, you're not, these are one of your two favorite people in the world. They're talking together. They actually recorded it for you. For free. For free. And you're starting to write an email. <laughs> so I paused the podcast and then I finished email, put away the phone or press play because the phone is also the podcast listening device. Should have had like a cassette deck. We should send it out on cassettes. New podcast out. Yes. On Take cassettes. this in. Take this to the mountains with nothing else. And so I rewinded it. Rewound. Um, well, went to start again and started the podcast all over so I could be present in their conversation. And it's all about being deliberate like that. Yeah. Set, setting things. Uh, I remember when I was very young, I read uh, Walden. And that was a book about, you remember, the man that went to a lake. <clears throat> Excuse me. He went off to a, a lake to spend a year doing what you did up in the cabin mm. just with nothing. Yeah. And he starts the whole book by saying, I went to the woods to live deliberately. And that's just haunting. Yeah, me. right. Because I want to live deliberately. I want to make decisions all the time because those decisions will be a lot better than the habits that, I, that I've fallen into by following the herd. It's like living deliberately is... Uh, yeah, it's a goal. It's your life's work. Yeah. That's what we're here for. To actually live it. It's exactly what we're here for. That's what we're here for. Well, we had like a... Um, theme? A theme. Oh. Did we have a theme? There was we a did. Sentence. What was the sentence? It was something that you and I talked about ah. the first time we met. It was, uh, yeah, owning, it was what you own. owning what you owning own. Owning what you yes. own. And... Uh, that happened uh, to me, the decision to own what I own happened about 
14 years ago and Christina and I were getting ready to move into an apartment and we were going to combine her stuff, her apartment and my little apartment and move together and we realized stuff that of two it won't fit. Yeah, the stuff of two people. together. And uh, suddenly it, uh, it came into my brain like a diamond dropped from the sky. What if I did something outrageous and decided that I'm only going to own what I think is beautiful or useful. How much of this stuff would I actually keep? So just as an experiment, I walked over to our uh, um, knife, fork, and spoon drawer, and I pulled it out and took every single thing out of it, wiped it out, and then set it down and said, okay, what, what goes back in, in here that I really find beautiful or useful? And it was amazing in that one little drawer, the number of things that I'd been storing. And it came to me that, you know, we're all hoarders, but we just don't know it because everyone else around us is a hoarder. But in the Western world, we're so, we're so rich. We've got so much that we just naturally, Hoard. and I found, you know, I found three super glues in the back of the thing. And I had just gone and bought another super glue. <laughs> and one of them had dried out because it was so old. I found, you know, 45 packets of those uh, chopsticks that you always think, I'll use those again. Yeah, yeah, when you buy takeout. Surely yeah, when yeah, I'm yeah. having yeah, nice food at home, I'm going to be using a takeout. Oh, so course, you course. store those. I found, and so by the time Christine and I had put away the knives, forks, and spoons and a few nice things that we, we liked, we had this pile of stuff that either needed to go to Freetex or junk. And it struck me how much easier and better my life would be if I could do that with more and more sections of our life, because our lives are always stacked up in these sections of boxes and, yeah. and uh, closets and cupboards. And it took us on a, a spiritual journey that, you know, at times was devastating. Um, because the important thing about it was that each item that we threw away, we had to look at and decide and think, where, why did I buy this? Where is it from? Do I want it? Who, am I keeping this out of guilt? Because Aunt Hilda gave it to yeah, me, yeah, and now yeah, she's yeah, dead, yeah, yeah, and now yeah, she, yeah. you know, and or do or do I, uh, or or is this something hidden that I should have out that I haven't looked at for ten years because it's buried in junk? Mm -hmm. And um, so we we developed a method, a bit like Pavlov's dogs. We would uh, play Mozart because Mozart is a uh, is good mind music. They play it for math students before they, it, it helps you to organize your brain oh, the way yeah, that yeah, Mozart yeah. or Bach. That, so we would always play some classical music like that, take whatever it is, whatever box, whatever closet, the closet's too big, whatever section you can find, we'd take it out and take everything out of it, clean it out and then start one by one. And sometimes a little box can take you, you know, three hours and yeah. sometimes a whole closet takes you 20 minutes because you don't know what, which of your own skeletons or monsters you're going to find. Yeah. One time I was down in the booth and I, uh, I, found a, uh, I found a shoebox, and I realized it had been taped and wrapped. I realized that this had followed me through from when I was 15, oh, shit. and it was a shoebox that had my father's boots in it. And he had had these amazing kangaroo skin green adventure boots. And when I was a boy, he used to let me wear them when I got big enough to wear them. 
And then after he died, I kept those boots. And for one summer, I wore them the whole summer. But then I got bigger. By the time I turned 15, I went the next summer to put them on. And my feet were too big and I couldn't fit them. And uh, my mom found me just raging and smashing things. I was so angry. So I put them away like a little coffin, wrapped them up, and they moved with me yeah. from house to house and boot to boot and cellar and attic. And I found this thing and I was like, I can't, I can't. So I went outside, threw them away, went back inside, went back out, got them out of the trash, went back out again and threw them. And this went several times until my wife found me this is maybe six or eight months ago, just laying in a heap on the floor, just weeping. Just I, I couldn't face the, the weight of my father's shoes and that I, I couldn't fit them and it, it didn't work. It was, it was so heavy. And so Christina looked into uh, the, this American site. It's a eBay. Started looking. We found that the company had shut down in the 70s. And suddenly she found a pair of boots in my size green kangaroo skin leather 1966 the exact boots unworn still in the box and i said i don't care if they cost a hundred thousand dollars order those now she said well we can bid on them i'm like no 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 and i waited for a week and then uh these boots showed up and they were mine and they fit me but they were still my father's that was the journey that owning what you own can take you on that's it, an intense journey. It's crushing. And, but now whenever, you know, the other night there was a Alt for Nordica party to, um, for season nine, and that's a special event. So I put on my father's boots and I go there. So uh, there are rewards, but there be monsters. There are monsters in your closet, people. Yeah. And, yeah, for uh, real. It's, in, it's important work. The offshoot of it is that every time I go into – a drawer or a closet or a space, because now it's been years of doing this, I only have what I like. Every T-shirt is a shirt I actually like. Every sock, every yes, you screwdriver, don't have to every... Flip through all these things that you saves don't you really... so much time. Yeah. It saves you so much. And then the things that you do like, you're more of yourself, because what's on display in your life is really yours. People can walk in and look around and say, yeah, this is genuinely him and not guilt-ridden stuff that just happened to wash up on the shore and be kept. So that process of owning what you own, it's, it's improved so many aspects of my life, but it's, uh, yeah, it's not for the faint of heart. You need to you square your shoulders and go in hard you when you go in. Book <laughs> I, I think I might. <laughs> you know, I'm going through that process right now in, in the sense, because uh, I'm, I just moved uh, with my girlfriend. So we are combining our stuff. Merging the stuff. Uh, you know this. Uh, you know this process well. Then yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I started the, to look at it. it. But I also have like things piling up from my history because I I moved around and I had a company. And I had an office. So I actually spent like the last year really going through a lot of stuff. But there is still so much stuff. It feels left. like it's looking into the sun. That's why yeah. uh, compartmentalizing is so good. I mean, I've had people that say, oh, I could, you know, I, I can't even imagine having time to do all of that. And then a few minutes later, they'll tell me how season seven of Sopranos is their best season. <laughs> yeah. And I think, um, no, you've got, you've got all the time in the world. But you just take it bit by bit, yeah. box by box. But when you do it, you have to do it with some real purpose. You can't really pick at it. You have to really pull it out, play some music, yeah. Take it all out, you know, to, to try to organize within a structure or a container is hopeless. 
You, you need to dump it all out and spread it. Yeah. And that's when you stumble into the things that you didn't remember. Yeah. Like, oh, I wanted to take up sewing and I've got this sewing machine in the back of this thing. And you, know, you have to confront your decisions when you own what you own. Yeah. But the rewards, oh, the, they're so helpful. They'll make you better at whatever it is you're doing just because you won't waste time stumbling over all the roadblocks that you've built ahead of yourself with this guilt-ridden junk. Yeah. Also, uh, I remember having this realization that you're actually, so it's stored out here in the physical world, right? So you have this, yes. uh, these pair of shoes. Yes. But they take up a lot of space in your, in your mind. They do. And they're weighing you down uh, because that's what I've come to realize that what's even more like, especially, you know, these things that have um, you got from someone or they have, have some sort of like um, value value on, on a personal level. Yeah. Uh, in addition to you, probably this, it also has monetary value. So you're sort of like, oh, this is worth a lot. Or I bought this and I never used it. So the word worth becomes uh, yes. in your mind, it takes up a space. It takes up a space. So the thing itself, so I think, uh, I think we talked about it once was, so I have the, when I started the uh, company years ago, I used, I had to borrow money from my mother to buy a, a Mac so that I could edit. So it cost like 30 grand. And it was like the most money I've ever spent on something when I didn't have any money. And um, it was sort of important, right? So in the basement, there is a Mac <laughs> from... 2001 yes. or 2002. The Guilt Mac 2000. The Guilt Mac 2000. Yeah. It's um, uh, the, the thought of throwing it away is like so scary to me because, you know, I spent, I spent money I didn't have even to get this thing. And uh, it, was so, it was so important and, and, and it has so much like value mm. and history. But then at the same time, how much value, what, what is the actual value to me? Because what I'm thinking now that you're talking about the whole taking the actual time to reflect upon what is this item and what does it mean for you? Is that a sort of, I don't want to go there, right? Because it's uh, that company, for instance, uh, we had like a breakup. Ah, a bad breakup. So that's attached to this. Oh yeah, plastic so, uh, uh, clump as well. Because uh, I started up in Trondheim. We started up in two thousand one, post nine eleven, and it's a hard time to get people to buy uh, <laughs> things they didn't need, like advertising or or films for their company or whatever. So it was like uh, not easy to to start up. Uh, but we started up and we started like building the company. But it was hard and we didn't make any money. So. Uh, uh, when I got a job offer in Oslo to in television, I, I took it because uh, it was like uh, I was broke, and it was really exciting to actually work in sure in 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 in, in the television industry. Uh, so I was like, I'm just gonna stay for a couple of months, and they were sort of like, but but we have this thing here, and you're going there, and I was like, yeah, I'm just gonna stay for a couple of months. It's gonna be I'm coming back, and then mm -hmm. and another job showed up, and. Uh, and I was like, oh, it's, this is interesting. And uh, feeding my ego, you know, 
because uh, you're good and uh, you're young and you're like in Oslo because Trondheim is um, uh, a small town yes. compared to Oslo. So for me, it was really like the big city. And then uh, um, the boys were like, well, when are you coming back? Like my 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 friends in the business, and like, well, it's just gonna be a little bit longer, and hmm. but that's okay. And uh, uh, and um, I slowly sort of realized myself that I'm not coming back. But so we had a meeting where I was trying to tell them that I'm not coming back. But you know, as a Norwegian, we don't uh, <laughs> do well in conflicts, so it's gonna be very understated. And uh, and uh, uh, so I was like. Oh, well, I want to work longer in Oslo, but I, I still want to be part of the company. And they were like, but you're not a part of the company if you move to Oslo. And I was like, well, yeah. And then, and then we sort of split up. And it was uh, it was like breaking up with a girlfriend, actually, because it was friends of mine. So it was like um, intense. But so the Max stayed with them. But I was like, but the Max mine. And they were like, uh, yeah, yeah, you'll have your Mac. But, but they used the Max, so it was sort of like... Uh, uh, it became sort of like this item of, of um, contention in yeah, a way. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're gonna get it back real soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah, but but you haven't figured I, out a way to give it to In that family, you. the Mac was the child that you guys were having yeah, custody our, battles it was over. The custody battles. So when I finally got it back, it was like my Mac is that I paid for this, and I I lost the company, but I have the Mac still. Yeah, these things that we own have so much. Uh, they have ghosts. There's, there's so much attached. Yeah. God damn it, I think yeah, I'm like, ready to throw out the like, I think that it's time for that Mac to... I think we should go out and, uh, yeah. and, and have a ritual where we send that Mac off into the world. But the other interesting thing about it is wow. as much as you struggle, the minute that you make that decision yeah. Yeah. and it goes away, you've, you've got space where it was, but you don't have the guilt where it was. That, that chain yeah. doesn't yeah. hold sway over you Because literally, anymore. a weight has been lifted off my shoulders... Yeah. Because I now took the time to actually go through the entire history of the Mac yeah. to see what was yes. there yeah. and what does it really represent. And that's different than if, you know, your mom had suddenly said, oh, I threw out that old Mac. You'd be like, oh, but that was, but yeah. because you need to go through the process. It's a conscious so. decision you have to make. My yeah, because was, if your yeah. mother throws it away, that's just going to leave the biggest what yeah. if hole. You never get a chance to yeah. do that process. That's why it's never good to have others deal with your stuff, if at all oh. possible. Because you have to, uh, you have to do the process. And my yeah, mother was, was... A, uh, a real estate agent, and she said <laughs> that uh, she would help people do this to their house before selling it. She'd say, "We need to move half of what you have into storage, rearrange it like this. You need to clean it out really well, and then we'll have a showing." And invariably, people watching others go through their clean minimalist house would say, "I kind of don't want to move now." I miss this. This place is nice. This is the first time they'd looked at their own house for years because they'd yeah. been filling it with, with this junk. junk. Yeah. So uh, one of the things you're, you're buying when you think of worth is space. In Oslo, you will pay a lot of money per square meter, which means if you can manage to get rid of a few square meters of junk, you've got a bigger apartment. That's true. And it really works that way. Even just taking your TV from a stand up against the wall and getting rid of the stand and you 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 got you know another square meter but it's also when i because i like i mentioned i spent the last year and plus 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 uh throwing things away but never regretted anything that i let go of never no you don't look back and go that one thing 
it's gone. Yes, yes. when it's gone, yeah. it is gone. And also somebody else might What's need that, it. The that's the nice thing. Slay Rosebud? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does slay. seem to regret that quite a bit. <laughs> That was one of the great movies of all time, and it was based on this thing that no, had this important... I have to rewatch this film. I'd, let's watch I watched it together. It the last time, you know, I was in my analytic mind. Why well, is this movie the best movie in the world, I think? Oh, yes, it's because, you know, they do, like, flashbacks and flashbacks. Oh, yeah, yeah, very clever. Now we'll watch it and just hold hands and cry. <laughs> because we're going to we'll cry watch it with, with pure emotion and nothing else. <sighs> But when you talked mm -hmm. about that whole story about Mac, I was like seeing it visually in my mind how how it is like okay we have this thing, it might it it doesn't take up a lot of space in physical space. It's, Mac, it's not that it's not big. Not that Mac. big, you know. But in the mind, once you approach it and you just open the door a little bit, there comes <laughs> this. You know, this huge story about this important thing. You know? Yeah, this closet yes. is and it's very it's, full. So when you're it's open, actually, you're like flooding out. Yeah. Of it, like, uh, if, you don't, if you don't realize it, actually that story, it never even stops, you know. It can go on and on and on, on. Oh, yeah, yeah that yeah. story could be longer. Because you can always take a layer down, layer yeah, down, yeah, yeah, layer yeah, down. Yeah. So imagine how much, my, how much space you open up in your soul for the work that you want to do that's on hand now with every emotionally yeah. charged item that you manage to either decide to keep or decide to get rid of yeah. you you're opening up space to work to grow to, to listen space. and move you're opening up soul space and you know how much soul space costs per meter that's some expensive <laughs> stuff. in oslo <laughs> ridiculous <laughs> and i guess uh, like so in one perspective you know you always run, wanted to write that book when when you come into the room where you're going to write the book it's full of junk so what your mind is filled with is all the junk that is in the room, yes. and the room is filled with the junk, so you can't even sit down to you actually can't write the book. Yeah. So you need to clear out both the, the physical space and the mental space. And I think you're onto something that your mental space, even though the Mac is fairly small, your mental load might be yeah. quite can vast. Be, and and yeah. it could be like a lot of cubic square meters of your mind is like filled up with the... Things that you need to reflect upon and actually let go of. And they get in the way of um, the very real things that you'd like to do each day. You know, when, how many times, I mean, when they talk about middle-aged men always talking about being so forgetful. But my theory is this. They're not forgetful. They're just drowning in their own. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, after 50, 60 years, you've gained so much that they wander around the house bumbling going, where did I leave the ballpoint? Where did I... I had the, the locks for the, the outdoor, where is the locks? And then it's got to be so annoying for wives to just listen to the man wander around the house going, honey, where did I put the, damn it, I had that thing. <laughs> it's, it's, it fills a bulk of their day. And that's why they'll get so angry when one task takes forever because they have to get this and then it doesn't fit with that. When you do the work and it takes years, but when you've really brought your, your every room down to its essence, you maneuver like a Jedi. Yeah. Like a, you just, you move through. Uh, the other day there was a, a broken yeah, lock. Clarity. A broken lock on the boot. And because I'd done this ages of work to, to get all my tools and things in order, it was possible to walk downstairs, grab the drill, grab the thing. And I think maybe four or five minutes, but 10 years ago, that job would have been me digging through the boot yeah, for every tool. Yeah, it'd be half a day, just... For everything, that's a whole, you know, many-hour session, and then I'm lucky if I find the right things for it. 
and now life is just easier. And because I'm generally, I'll take the path of least resistance. I'm generally lazy about things. Then it's, it feels good to move swiftly through my life, to do these tasks without, you know, overworking it. Yeah. But moving swiftly through your Soul space. Yes, it's, like, it's, it's the two the two move in tandem. They really do. They have a yeah. lot of stuff. You're like uh, when you watch the show Hoarders, right? And they're coming into oh to the oh, the house, yeah. and and there's like there's sort of like a path, and you have to move really like carefully, not to tip all that stuff over. And that's your mind. We're we're all emotional hoarders. We really are, and yeah. it's a uh, it's a harder show to make, but just as fascinating. Yeah. Emotional hoarders. It's the idea that, uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff we can actually literally let go of because we just feel like we need to be camels and we store these things up and then we drag them along. So, yeah, first you deal with the uh, the actual space and then uh, your mind will definitely follow you there. Yeah. yeah. Or I guess now I'm sort of getting, if I'm trying to like visualize your, like your, your vessel, uh, this, this human body of yours, so the soul needs to have space, right, to, to sort of grow and to blossom. But if you just fill up your mind, which is one of the soul's many tools, if you fill it up enough, it's sort of cramping up soul's space. Yes. So soul is like, damn, damn, mind, you're, you're taking over here. It shouldn't be putting all this stuff in here and, and uh, you need to clean out your closet. I think it's the idea, yeah, this idea that... Uh, that um, we're stumbling over our, ourselves, that we're putting yeah. stuff in front of our own path and then wondering why we can't move easily. And uh, yeah, with each thing, this idea of, uh, of what you've attached to it can be crippling. I mean, think about, uh, oh, I, uh, um, the other night I watched Pulp Fiction and that watch that, that was in different prisoners' asses before it finally made his way in. He almost died, that character, but it, 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 it's a good symbol of what we'll do in real life. We'll put ourselves in grave peril in order to protect, you know, useless things yeah, because yeah, yeah. We've, we found a way to attach. So I've always been very clear to everyone that, you know, do not attach me to any to gift items. or thing. If, if I give you a gift, if, if the next day you decide that it doesn't fit on your wall or that's not a thing... There's should be zero guilt attached to anything you own, because guilt is, of course, just such a uh, such a heaviness. Guilt just distorts everything about what you'll own, and a lot of times it'll be something silly like, "Oh, those those were, you know, those are his socks." Oh, and it's like, do you think this person that you miss would bought bought those socks and then thought this is me? Remember me through this great gift? No, it's a it's wool formed in a half tube. Throw it out. And uh, then the very few things that we keep from, our, uh, from people that are important, they should be held high in our house. They should be yeah, polished and well-kept and, and yeah, yeah, on yeah. display. Yeah. And often those are the things that, are, that make you feel guilty when you find down in your boot, oh, this picture of you know, my great-grandparents. Or here's a film from the 1940s that my family – we had. this stuff is treasure. That shouldn't be in a plastic bag hanging with you know, the old paint cans. So it's all about priorities as well, and uh, yeah. Yeah. It was just one, like the whole hoarding thing. Is it a, because like both in the mind and in our houses, we, we're packing up with stuff as if we're preparing for something. 
or if, if we are um, postponing something. Uh, and I don't remember who said it, but I thought it was kind of cool, was that um, you can rationalize that if you have a lot of stuff that you haven't used and that it's sort of ready to be used, you can't die because you, can't you still die. have stuff. <laughs> There's still stuff here. You can't go yet. There's still toothpaste. Uh, and I thought, like, but it's, like, what are we... Like if you if you're going out on a journey into the unknown, which is sort of what we're doing every day, even though we're pretending we're not because we're trying to just do the same thing over and over again, so we don't have to go to a, an unknown place. But the problem with the unknown is you don't know what it is. <laughs> so you better pack up all your Mac stories and your uh, uh, your shoe stories, everything, and just keep it in there. Because it might just, come in handy. Yeah, you go. You want to go tool heavy, and then you don't realize every new situation I'm in now, I'm burdened. Yeah, by, <laughs> so I can want, barely move. You, you haven't this started the journey yet, and you're like, like crawling like with yeah. tons of of dead weights in your in your backpack. And if the story, Askeladden, you know the guy with his brothers, and he goes out on a quest, and he finds stuff along the way. It's so obvious, right? Yes. You're not bringing stuff from the village. You're going on a question. But if he That's had it. all these things with him, he wouldn't have realized. Yeah, no. I'd be like, I don't need an old shoe. I've got tons of shoes in my back here. No worries. I traveled a lot uh, when I was younger, and I would travel with as little as possible because I found that uh, everything that you bring into a new place is a, a bit of a wall, including money, is a, is a barrier between you yeah. and the new people you're going to meet. And so my, my rule was 25 pounds in the backpack, and it took me forever. I was cutting toothbrushes in half and tearing pages out of travel books and until I boiled it down to what I wore and 25 pounds in a backpack. And that's what I left for uh, Europe when I was maybe 21, 22, and uh, spent six months with almost no money wandering into new situations carrying almost nothing. And uh, it was so great to meet people that vulnerable because they respond immediately. They want, and also you're giving them the gift of helping a stranger. And sometimes if you're, if you're poor or you're struggling or you don't feel like you're, if you have a low self-esteem, to be able to help somebody else that really needs your help is such a it's injection. A win -win. Yes, everybody wins. So. I, I wandered for uh, yeah, six months around Europe and then nine months around Australia and New Zealand, wow. just penniless, carrying 25 pounds or less in a, in a little backpack. And it's, it's such a great way to greet an adventure. Yeah. And you have the space and the agility to actually experience it. Well, you have no choice. Yeah. That's what I like about it. You bought the ticket, you've got $40, and you've got a little backpack. No matter what happens from here, it's all going to be exciting and memorable. But if you've got, you know, $2,000 and uh, you, your train, trick, train ticket set, you know what hotels you're going to stay in, I can almost plot your adventure for you because it will be, you know, all of that money and that protection and that, that's just a barrier between you and any local you're ever going to meet. Yeah. Plus, I don't think you can call it an adventure anymore. I think you can kind of you, <laughs> not really no. you can kind of boil it down to the like if you have a lot of things you always have the option you know to use them so if you boil it down to to something con the concrete question is that if you don't have anything the only question is yes or no to life to the flow to everything you know 
Good point. If you have yes. a lot of things, there is the only question you have is which tool should I use? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All the tools. Which, which of my thing yeah. am I going to do exactly what I've always done with yeah. that thing of mine? Exactly. As opposed so you, to... You miss the whole thing. Oh, no, that's an yeah. excellent point. And, uh, and that stands for big adventures like going off with a backpack or just even the little adventures like what do you have with you when you leave the house? Yeah. Do you ever just walk out <laughs> naked and afraid with uh, just, you know, T-shirt and jeans and your shoes and walk out into the world is like, no, I might not be stimulated. I might not be entertained without my music, of it, but you also might stumble into something you hadn't seen that's in your own neighborhood simply because you walked out there without the tools you normally carry. Yeah, true. So they do own you. You know the things. If you, uh, if you don't they, actually reflect upon they what can, they are, absolutely. they will end up owning you. If you're not deliberate, yeah. if you don't own them, yeah, if you don't make that decision to own them, as you say, then they, they will own you. If, if you're not deliberate about it, you're being carried around by your stuff. It chooses your path. It chooses who you hang out with. Yeah. It does sound heavy. Well, it's, uh, <laughs> it's the burden of being an entire civilization of hoarders now. I mean, we all live like the Egyptian pharaohs did when they just stacked it up. <laughs> it's just that now we're so aware of it. We're not aware of it because we all do it. So unless somebody's got it chronically, yeah, like, then we the, can like say, in the hoarders. Hoarder. But otherwise, all hoarders. Uh, no, absolutely. I can, I can say with complete confidence that you own 60% more than you need to. Yeah. I can say that absolutely comfortably that if we went through and spread everything you owned into Bislett Stadium and then you went one by one and said, I like this, I want this, there would be a small amount. And that's, uh, that's empowering. That's exciting because it means that all the treasures you need to shop for are in your own house. It's like a shopping trip. I didn't know I had grandpa's pocket knife. I haven't seen this since I was 12. What's that? How cool. I'm going to sharpen it, oil it, and take it on the next camping trip with me. You go shopping in your own house, and meanwhile, other people benefit from what you own that you no longer need yeah. that goes to the free text. Yeah. And then the, uh, the offset is you also have more space and agility within your life. So I have to say one thing which I found when I was throwing stuff away was that there is also a great power in actually throwing it away. Like mm, the physical it. act like, of, yeah, like, yeah. This this must go, because some things uh, I could I realize that I'm hiding myself behind the fact that this is useful. Someone has to, someone has to to get this, and and then it will live on forever. Whereas uh, whereas if I smash it to pieces, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> well, I and, think but, but I think it's for different things, and that's back to what you're saying about actually. Reflecting on what what is this? If it's a tumor, don't hand it over to someone else. <laughs> if this, you should destroy it. You are right there. Like if you read a book and you hate it and it's a horrible book, that's not a book. There's nothing sacred about it. <laughs> Murder it in the bathtub and then take it outside. Yeah, like, this <laughs> was never... a shitty book. I'll give it to Freetex. <laughs> what? It you're an evil person. <laughs> so you're right. There's some things, and also there's some things that maybe it's important for you to have the ceremony, like that computer should probably be a bit of a ceremony. I think I'm going to burn it, it like out Vader and, or yeah, something like because it's you know <laughs> drop it off uh, you know, send it up in a rocket but there there should be a uh, a 
a ceremony because then when you walk back away from that, there's no turning back. You, you can't rescue that. That's Could done. I put fireworks? You know, it's the G4 Max where you open them like a bread box on the side. Fireworks uh, inside. You had me at fireworks. I'm already in. Wait, yeah, you did. We're going to firework it. Because <laughs> I, I do remember people putting fireworks into like mailboxes. <laughs> Seem to be very effective. So that way, when it happens, you've got the catharsis, the destruction of a thing that's been tormenting you for a long time. You need to slay the dragon, man. Yeah. And I'm speaking to myself. <laughs> I, but, you know, but now that, it's, uh, now that it's been said, it's already uh, in motion. It is. I think that's, I don't think that is a good thing. Yeah. And I'm with, free. I'm inspired to go home and clean. Yeah, that's great. Fireworks? <laughs> Maybe. Cleaning with fireworks. Well, and you can call me anytime. I'm going to give you my phone number. You can just yeah. call me and go, I'm stuck. It's like staring into this. I yeah. can't do this. Ever. And then I will talk you through it because now it's been long enough that uh, I would yeah. be very proud of you if you, uh, if you use this opportunity to, uh, to put some of that in motion. Yeah. So yeah, when you bog down and you think I can't even, just you might need a sponsor. Call I'll call you. <laughs> it's by, exactly. Yes. A, your hoarders need sponsors, yes. but not because I had like I thought I'd sort of hacked it, because I had my friend David coming along, and he was like, "You don't need that. You don't need that. You don't need that." And then I threw it away. Oh no! But that's yeah. not that's that's cheating. That's on someone the, else owning what you own yeah, and that's making not, life decisions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, where yeah. someone can come in as a sponsor, that when I was in uh, Seattle. Uh, at a, a community college, I had this dorm room, and there was a, a German girl in the dorm room next door. And maybe once every two weeks, she'd come and knock on the door. The story isn't going where I'm sure you're hoping it's going. I'm not sure. I'm not um, and I would walk going. over, and the music would go boom. <laughs> no, I'd, I'd walk in, and so my job are. was to sit with a cup of coffee on her bed. And the reason I had to do that is because if she would not clean and deal with things unless she knew she had to. So she'd say, could you please come and just refuse to leave? And so I'd sit on the bed and then it would just keep her in motion. She had to do it all, but she needed to know that she had to. And uh, a sponsor can be someone who just comes along, hangs out, drinks your beer and says, good job, buddy. Keep at it. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't let it drag not, you down. Not going to do the job Puts on the Mozart. You. No, they can't. It's, that's wrong. That's, that's invasive. that's robbing you from, yeah, 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 yeah. Certainly help you carry things, but, but not make a single decision about a single thing you, you own. You need to make the decision. Yeah. But a sponsor is a good idea because it is a big thing to even think of starting. But the minute that you clean one thing, one box, you'll be surprised how quickly within an hour or two, you'll suddenly go, hey, where was that? Where was the lighter? I need to get a candle. Oh, and you'll open this perfectly clean drawer and there's three workable lighters because you threw the seven that don't work away. <laughs> and you're so proud just to pick that up and light it. You feel smug already. You're, you're swaggering as you use that one thing in the one clean section. Yeah. I think That's a good you should write a book about that. It's it might be, be like it a might very, be a good uh, it might be a worthy book. project. No. How many books have you written? I have uh, The Gift of No Water was the first uh, novel and that's about uh, an Anasazi an Anasazi medicine man and a boy that take a walkabout across the desert. So it's magical realism. And uh, the second book Copper Man which uh, just came out last year and that's about Otzi the Iceman. It's uh, you know the man they found in the uh, in the glacier that's five thousand years oh, yeah, old. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. his life story told in first person from birth to death. Ah. So 
So I'm done with book one, and that's out. That's for sale on Amazon.com as well. And then book two, I'm in the middle of. And uh, there's a here in Norway, there's a company called Storytel, and that's where you can listen to audiobooks. And I read Copperman book one um, onto an audiobook that's on Storytel. So I can actually listen to you reading your Sell, book. Yeah, it's nice when the author reads their own. I've always that's enjoyed nice. listening to audiobooks because you know that's their story anyway. Yeah. So it's, and it was fun to, uh, it was fun to read it, to read because then after after that long, it's. Uh, It feels like, yeah, th this is back to the old ways where people listen. I like audiobooks. People listen to someone sitting around a fire telling them a story. Yeah, like we're doing right now. Yes. We've come full circle. <laughs> We've come full circle. <laughs> you took the ends and you tied them together masterfully. Neatly. Very well crafted, my friend. We got some uh, Mac fireworks parades. I can't wait. I really want to see this. I, can I please be present for that event? However you decide to destroy, I think we really need to. Yeah. I'll bring drums. We'll, uh, we'll make a thing of it. Yeah. Very cool. There, do we have like a, a question at the end? Yeah. Like, because it seems like we've come to the... Um, to a the natural, place, right? a yeah, natural yeah, yeah. spiral, yeah. Uh, and... and, and uh, How much stuff can you actually hoard? Is there limits to this? Spiritually, no. Because it's infinite, right? It's infinite, yeah. It that is. You create the space, but of course, you're going to have to take all of that out of that space again. So yeah. as much as you decide to hoard, as much spiritual materialism as you uh, wallow in, you're going to have to deal with each and every item. Just postponing it. God damn it.